So earlier I mentioned upward basketball. Yesterday we had evaluations for a big group of the kids, and it was exciting. It was exciting to see them play, and they enjoyed the game. And every time upward basketball comes around, I'm reminded of when I was blessed to play basketball as a kid. I remember a lot of those games we played. I remember a lot of the wins. But it seems like I remember the losses more than the wins. I still remember in fifth grade when we lost the game 98 to 14. Yeah, the other team felt so bad for us that they let one of our two-point shots count as three points. Just didn't really help much. I remember losing one game so badly that my coach called a timeout and made us run sprints in front of the other team. It is losses like that that you try and get out of your mind as quick as you can as a kid, right? Some of you might remember stuff like that. But then I went to college and I found out that you can't forget losses very quickly in college because then there's game film. So there's nothing like game film. There's nothing like reliving that failed assignment in front of your whole team. There's nothing like that moment when the coach says, okay, everybody watch. Here's the screen that Drew was supposed to get around so that the team wouldn't score and win the game. But I'll forget that one one day. I quickly found that in college, while we celebrated the wins, we spent a lot more time talking about the losses. We analyzed them. We looked at our failures so that we could learn, be prepared for the future. And when we learned from those things, we, we did set ourselves up for success. And, you know, in the same way, there is a lot that we can learn from our failures in this life, including the battles that we fail. Now, as Christians, we need to remember that in this life, our battles are primarily spiritual in nature. We fight against our enemy, the devil, and the demons who who are always looking to discourage live lives ineffective for God's kingdom. Uh, we, we battle against our own sin nature, which often rears its ugly head, trying to convince us to live the life that we once lived. And in many of these battles that we face, we are bombarded with temptations to sin. And of course, there are those times that we fail. We do fall into sin. Now, when we do, we need to be sure, believers, to run to the Lord for forgiveness, to learn from those mistakes so that we would not continue in the same sin again. But it's those battles that we fail that I really want us to consider this morning so that we would learn from them. Because we know that we're not going to be perfect this side of heaven, but we don't need to go into our battles unprepared. We can live in victory, church. We don't have to live in that cycle of defeat, feeling stuck in sin, surrounded and bombarded by the enemy and feeling hopeless. And I pray that we would learn some great truths about living in victory as we turn together to Joshua chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there and follow along. Joshua chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to use one of those Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 181, page 181, Joshua chapter 15. And in this chapter, we're going to look at some of the battles that Israel failed. So as you turn there, just as a reminder, at this point in our study, the promised land is being divided, territory of it, to the tribes in Israel. 
And, and this chapter focuses on the land that was given to the tribe of Judah. Last week, we saw the story of Caleb's great faith. I love Caleb's story. Caleb was from the tribe of Judah. So it's natural that this is the tribe we'd look at first. In fact, this chapter gives us some additional details about Caleb that we didn't get to see last week. So I really want to start with those today. So let's look there together. Joshua chapter 15, beginning in verse 14. It says this. From Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, Sheshai, Ahaman, and Talmai, the sons of Anak. From there he called Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, took it. So Caleb gave his daughter Aksa to him in marriage. We'll go ahead and pause right here. I want us to look at these, these victories. They really serve as the high point in the chapters we're going to see today. And they're going to serve as an important contrast in just a minute. But really consider the great faith of Caleb here. It says that he drove out the enemies in Hebron, including three Anakites. Now, if you were here last week, you know that that means he drove out three giants from the city. Three giants. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Come on, we all know the story of David and Goliath. Caleb drove out three Goliaths. We don't hear that story all the time, do we? Of course, that might be because David and Goliath, it's easier to say than Caleb, Sheshai, Ahaman, and Talmai, right? <laughs> say that ten times fast. But the point is that Caleb and his nephew Othniel, they had, they had great faith, which led to great victories, even against strong enemies. Keep those things in mind. Because things are about to go downhill from here. So after these verses, there's this long list of the towns, the villages, the territory that's given to the tribe of Judah. There were going to be other enemies in the land, just like the ones that Caleb and Othniel drove out. Judah was going to have to take care of those enemies together as a tribe. But then we come all the way down to the very end of the chapter in verse 63. And this is how it ends for Judah. It says this. Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the people of Judah. They could not living in What? They couldn't dislodge them. Think about this for just a minute. These were the same Israelites who had experienced God's power and victory in the promised land. Remember, God threw hailstones at their enemy. God confused the enemy. He prolonged the day. God threw down city walls. God brought Israel victory against armies described as numerous as the sand on the seashore. God gave Caleb victory over three giants in Hebron. But Judah couldn't dislodge the Jebusites? Look, this verse, it should bother us. This verse should bother us. In fact, if you go to the very next book in the Bible, the book of Judges, if you've never read Judges, I'd encourage you to do that. Judges chapter 1 gives us some more of the details when Judah went into its territory. 
And it includes how they actually had some initial victory against the city of Jerusalem. But evidently, they didn't hold on to it. Evidently, the Jebusites, they came back and they remained in it. They weren't driven out until years later when this guy, King David, came along and captured the city and made it the capital. So the question is, why did they take the city now? Why did they fail in this battle? I mean, is it just because David, David was that much better of a soldier? Is it that, is it that God abandoned the tribe in this battle? Now, we know that's not true, because if you've been with us in the study so far, you know that Israel, Israel only faced defeat when they were unfaithful to God, when they fought without his strength. You see, God doesn't leave his people. We leave God many times to go and do things our own way. So listen, listen to this promise that God had given Israel before they ever went to the promised land. This is back in Deuteronomy chapter 20. Listen to this. They were told in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1, When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, don't be afraid of them. Because the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, will be with you. Verse 4 says, For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you victory. So, Years earlier, God promised he was going to be with them. He was going to give them victory. We've seen examples of that together. Not only that, but God commanded the Israelites not to allow the enemies to live beside them in the land. But but Judah did that with the Jebusites. For years, they let them live there. It seems that the only explanation for what we read at the end of Joshua chapter 15 is that Judah failed because they were unfaithful to follow God's word to fully obey God's commands, and to persevere in battle. Because if they had been faithful to fully obey God, then they would have been blessed to fully experience victory. But they didn't have that. See, it's because they neglected the word of God. They neglected his commands. They became content with disobedience. That's why they failed to drive out the Jebusites. And many times, believers... We fail in our battles against sin because we are unfaithful to God's word. We know that that action is wrong. Maybe it's even something we've battled before, but eventually we become content with our disobedience. We let the sin stay around in our lives for a while. We neglect God's commands because we neglect his word. We might be obedient in some areas. Judah was obedient in some areas. But we become content to not be fully obedient, to let some sins linger. It's funny because when we do that in our lives, then then we start to get upset when we don't experience the fullness of God's presence and promises, the victory that he says he'll give to us. All the while, we're the ones that were unfaithful to him. Believers, if we want victory in our battles against sin, then we need to pour ourselves into God's word and obey it for how we ought to live. We find the battle plans for how we should fight against temptation and sin 
In fact, we're told in Ephesians chapter 6 that God's Word, the Bible, is our weapon in spiritual warfare. Go and look at Matthew chapter 4, how Jesus himself demonstrated how the Bible is powerful in defeating temptation. So in God's Word, we find how to live, we find how to fight against sin. But to know these things, to know God's commands to live in victory, we have to be faithful to His Word. Remember the words of James chapter 1, verse 22. Memorize this verse, church. James said, Do not merely listen to the Word, so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. Don't neglect it. Don't just read it and then put it down. Do what it says. If the Israelites had done that, the Jebusites wouldn't still be living in the land when this was written. And when we do that, when we apply God's word to our lives, sin won't linger long. If you're following along, go ahead and turn to chapter 16. Chapter 16 moves on. to Look at the land that was given to the tribe of Ephraim. This is a short chapter, so I'd encourage you to go home and read it. Go home and read all these chapters. And it ends this way in verse 10. It says, They did not dislodge the Canaanites living in Gezer. To this day, the Canaanites live among the people of Ephraim, but are required to do forced labor. Hmm. Now, there's some similarities, right, between Judah and Ephraim now? They couldn't dislodge them. The Canaanites lived there to this day. But then there's something we find that's a little different. It says that at some point, at some point along the line, Ephraim was strong enough to force the Canaanites into being laborers. Mission accomplished, right? Listen to what God said in Exodus chapter 23. This is what God said to Israel about the Canaanites before they went into the land. He said this, Exodus 23, God said, Do not let them live in your land, or they will cause you to sin against me, because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. That's why Ephraim failed. That's why they failed this battle. First, they failed to fulfill God's command by not persisting in battle to dislodge the Canaanites. But then, when the day came that they were clearly strong enough to to defeat their enemies, what did they do? They forced them to become laborers. That's not what God told them to do. That wasn't his command. No, he said that they were to send all the enemies out of the land. Now remember, that's because the other nations living there, they were idolaters. They lived in this gross immorality. They sacrificed their children to idols. And God knew that that sin and that idol worship was a disease that would spread to Israel. And if they were capable of forcing the Canaanites into forced labor, you want to know what else they were capable of? Forcing them out of the land. But they didn't do that. They were disobedient. They failed because they were not willing to obey. They were unwilling to let go of this free labor that they had. I mean, they clearly thought it was their advantage to have the Canaanites do these things for them. So like I said earlier, go go home and read the book of Judges this week, and you tell me if that was to their advantage. Because you read the book of Judges, and you'll see just how foolish this was. You'll see how God's words came to pass as a result of the Israelites allowing these nations to live among them. 
keeping those, those nations around was foolish. Ultimately, it was destructive. It may have been pleasant for a season. But it wasn't going to be pleasant for very long. And our sin is the same way, believers. Many times we fail in our battles simply because we are unwilling to obey. We're unwilling to let some sins go. There are some sins in our lives that are there because we choose to keep them there. We don't want to stop gossiping because we think it's fun. We don't want to stop taking God's name in vain because it just rolls off the tongue and everybody does it. We don't want to stop lusting. We justify it. We say it's not a big deal. We don't want to stop lying. We say nobody's going to get hurt. We don't mind our greed, our coveting, our sexual immorality. We justify all these things. They're pleasant to us. And then we say, well, they make me feel good. And I enjoy it. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's not going to hurt me. We start to convince ourselves that we're in control of sin. We say, well, I can get rid of this sin whenever I want to. It's not a big deal. I wonder if Ephraim thought that about the Canaanites. Or if they told themselves, we can get rid of these people whenever we want to, so it's not a big deal. We'll just hold on to them as long as it's a benefit to us. Well, if they thought that, they were wrong because the pagans around them quickly became a thorn in their sides. You will not master sin that you keep in your life, believer. No, if we let sin remain, it will master us until it destroys us. Listen to the warning that James gives in James chapter 1, verse 15. He says, After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Does that sound like stuff that we want to keep in our lives? We need to run far from sin, believers. And we need to stand fast against it. There's a reason we're told in 2 Timothy chapter 2 to flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. There's a reason we're told in James chapter 4 to submit to God, to resist the devil, and then he will flee from us. There's a reason we're told in Ephesians chapter 6 to put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. It's because sin is destructive. And Ephraim's unwillingness to be obedient resulted in a lot of pain down the road. And we need to realize that our sin will bring pain and destruction if we are not willing to be obedient. Then we come to chapter 17, and I wish I could say it got better. Chapter 17 starts talking about the territory given to the tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh is a big tribe. So it goes through a lot of the details towns, the land. And in verse 11, it lists some additional towns and goes on to say this in verse 12. Yet the Manassites were not able to occupy these towns, for the Canaanites were determined to live in that region. However, when the Israelites grew stronger, they, they subjected the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. The people of Joseph said to Joshua, why, why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? We, we are a numerous people, and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. If you're so numerous, Joshua answered, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go up into the forest, clear land for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites, the Rephaites. 
Well, the people of Joseph replied, the hill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who, who, who live in the plain have chariots fitted with iron. Both those in Beth Shan and its settlements and those in the valley of Jezreel. But Joshua said to the tribes of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, you are numerous and very powerful. You'll have not only one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. Clear it, and its farthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have chariots fitted with iron, and though they're strong, you can drive them out. This tribe, this tribe was something. They, they shared some of the same failures as Judah and Ephraim. You probably picked up on that. But not only that, we find that this tribe was so proud, so filled with pride, that as a result, they were, they were discontent with what God had given them. So as let's recognize that these two attitudes, if left unaddressed in our lives, will always lead to more sin. If we live in pride or choose to be discontent with what God has given us, we will inevitably run into the arms of other sins. But despite all these things, Joshua says that they really want more land and clear the forested areas. And that's, that's when these whiners and complainers make something really clear. They said, well, they have chariots fitted with iron. Well, they're, they're too strong. Joshua, they got tanks over there. The Manassites, they were, uh, they were afraid. Do you remember, though, what Deuteronomy chapter 20 said? Let's read that again. Deuteronomy 20, verse 1 said this, said, When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, don't be afraid of them. Because the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, will be with you. See, the Manassites either didn't remember this because they neglected God's word, or they doubted this promise. They doubted what God said he would do. Now, this tribe was all about what they could do, but they weren't willing to recognize what God could do. So really, it's not surprising that they failed in battle. They failed to drive out these enemies. And believers, there are many times when we fail battles in our lives against temptation because we doubt God. We, we doubt the promises that he's made to us, the promises to strengthen us. Listen, listen to this promise in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Another good one to memorize, church. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Let's not doubt God's ability and willingness and desire to strengthen us and give us victory when we fight his way. Manasseh doubted and they failed. When we doubt God's goodness and promises, that's when we throw in the towel. Doubt will bring defeat, but faith will bring that victory and that's what we've been called to live in. Believers, we will, we will fail 
We'll fall to sin at times in this life. We will. But we don't need to remain there. Now, we've been called to live lives of obedience, righteousness, lives of victory, not sin and defeat. And we can live those lives of victory as we cling to God's word so that we would know his commands and know how to fight for him. We can live in victory as long as we are willing and steadfast to obey him. And as long as we trust him to give us the strength that he promises in those battles that we face. But when we fail, church, we shouldn't choose to throw in the towel and just let that sin stay in our lives. Instead, we should immediately run to the Lord for forgiveness and then get right back up and get back to living for him again. It's discouraging when sin gains victory in our lives. The good news is we don't have to live lives stuck in sin, church. You see, the truth is this, and we need to remember this because the devil would sure love for us to forget it. We need to remember the truth that God is with us and has given us all we need to defeat temptation. Sometimes we're tempted to think that defeat is inevitable. But the truth is God is with us. He's given us everything that we need. He's given us his word, promises to give us his strength, gives us his spiritual armament. So church, let the Bible be your guide. Let God be your strength and let's throw doubt far away. We have everything that we need to live lives of victory. So let's be sure that we don't live lives of defeat. Church, as we prepare to close, I'd encourage you during this final invitation song to respond by going to the Lord in prayer because maybe you need to ask Him for strength for a battle that you're facing right now. Maybe you need to repent. You know that it's something that you've been content with and you're ready for that to change. If that's true, believer, don't, don't choose to ignore that. Go to the Lord in prayer during this final time. In those battles, and I would encourage you during that final song, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for everything that He's doing. Praise Him for His strength, for His victory that He's given you. And if you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, you've never given your life to Him, before you leave, I want you to understand the severity of sin. The Bible says that our sin, all those bad things we do, that these things are truly a problem because our sin is separating us from God. And if these sins aren't taken care of in this life, then we're going to be separated forever from God in a place called hell. That's a just punishment for sin. That bad news gets worse because the Bible says we can't make up for our sin. No amount of good works is going to get us to God. No amount of going to church is going to make us right. The good news is that that's why Jesus Christ came to this earth. Jesus came and did the thing that we can't do. He lived a perfect life. And at the end of that life, Jesus willingly died on the cross. When he did that, he was taking our place. He was being our substitute, taking all the wrath and the punishment that our sin deserves. After he died, Jesus was buried and three days later powerfully rose from the dead, proving that he isn't a, a mere man. Now he's the Savior. He's the Son of God. And he's the only one who can forgive us of all our sins, who can pardon us from the penalty of hell, and who can give us eternal life. And the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, those of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, we're not perfect. We're not sinless. But we've been forgiven of sin. We've been pardoned from the penalty of hell. And now that Jesus Christ lives in us, we can live for him.
better than we ever have been able to before. And Jesus Christ wants to forgive you of your sin. He wants to save you from hell. He wants to give you eternal life. If you've never received that, please know that you can do that before you leave. Let's pray together. Friend, if that's you, if you know that Jesus isn't your Savior, but you're ready to change that, you know that you're a sinner, you know that you need Jesus, please know that you can come You can come and talk to me during this invitation song. We can talk about all these things. We can pray together. But if you're ready right now to give your life to Jesus Christ, then friend, don't wait any longer. Go to Him in prayer and admit to Him that you're a sinner. That you know He died on the cross for you. That you believe He rose from the dead. Ask Him for that forgiveness for that salvation. Give your life to Him. And I promise you on the authority of God's Word, He will save you. He will forgive you. Dear Heavenly Father, for those of us who have made that decision, who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, Father, help us to be faithful to You by being faithful to Your Word, by reading Your Word every single day, Why is it that we're so content to go so long without picking up the Bible and seeing all the truths you have for us? No, create in us a spirit eager to read your word, to know you more, help us to meditate on your commands, to willingly and steadfastly choose to obey you, to trust you for strength in our battles. And Father, when we we fail, When we fall, help us to run to you for forgiveness. Help us to encourage our family in Christ to do that. Help us to encourage one another as we go through the temptations and trials of this life. Because we don't have to go it alone. I thank you for that. I thank you for all the followers of Jesus Christ in this room who are so faithful to do that, to encourage one another, to challenge each other, to read scripture together. And I pray you'd be glorified through all that. Father, when we leave this place, we know that we are going out into a world that does not care for you. We know that our enemy is prowling around looking to devour us. Help us to be on guard, be prepared to live for you and to share the gospel. Father, we love you. But every time we pick up the Bible, we see a thousand reasons that prove you love us more. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.